Good morning, everyone. You're listening to The Sci-Files, an exposure segment featuring Michigan State University student research. We're your co-hosts, Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Today we're here with Abdul Abbas. Abdul, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, my name is Abdul Abbas. I'm a graduating master's student. I'm in the Department of Microbiology and Molecular Genetics. I actually started my undergrad here in genomics and molecular genetics and took an interest specifically in the immune system and found a lab to join in my last year of undergrad. After joining as a volunteer, I decided to pursue my graduate training there. And so I pursued a master's degree in that lab where I worked on a variety of different projects relating to the immune system. You said you worked on a variety of different projects. Which one was the one that you found the most interesting? So my favorite project, which ended up being my thesis project, was a study of a mouse model of a human disease, ankylosing spondylitis. So this mouse model of disease mimics this human disease and We published a paper last year describing how this model has similar characteristics to the human disease. And so ankylosing spondylitis, which I'll refer to as AS, is a disease which causes spinal fusion in humans affected with this disease. And in addition, this disease can entail additional risks, one of them being increased susceptibility to colitis, which is an inflammatory bowel disease. It's a very debilitating disease. Another symptom that could be associated with this disease is inflammation in the eye, or we call it acute anterior uveitis, as well as inflammation in the heart, which increases susceptibility to a variety of heart diseases. You mentioned that your lab uses a mouse model. What is a mouse model, and why does your lab use one? Yeah, so mouse model and disease is kind of what the word suggests. So we replicate the disease in mice with the goal of potentially developing a therapy in mice that we can hope to translate to humans. In cancer, for example, you can have a tumor model or cancer model of disease in mice and kind of treat the cancer in mice. And when successful, you can use the same idea and move on to monkeys and then humans as well. Whenever you're working with your mouse model, are the mice born with AS or do they develop AS during the period of their lifetime? And what is the advantage of studying one versus the other? So these mice are born with predispositions to symptoms uh, that are similar to this disease. Now, it's difficult to say that these mice have the exact same disease in humans. And actually, a paper that we published last year is beginning to describe this mouse model as perhaps a potential model for this disease. Now, and that was one of the goals of my thesis was to further explore this model to further characterize whether it is similar to this disease or not. So in the lab, we study both the mouse model of disease, which entails predispositions to symptoms seen in AS, as well as healthy wild-type mice. It's important to note that to develop these diseased mice, we had to uh, knock out a gene, which means that we are disabling or removing the production of a certain protein in these mice in order to study the role of this certain protein in development of this disease. So interestingly, genes in humans for that code for the protein ERAP1 were shown to be associated with this disease in humans. So in order to study the role of ERAP1 in this disease, we decided to remove it completely and kind of see what develops. And what we see is the main symptom of ankylosing spondylitis, which is this skeletal fusion 
And so now we're hypothesizing that, you know, this gene is very important for in healthy patients and messing with its role or messing with its proper function can alter or predispose humans to this spinal fusion. When humans are born with AS, is their spine already fused or over time does it fuse? So patients with AS actually develop it over time. They're born with normal spine and over their lifetime, usually by the time they're 30 or during their 30s, they start developing this bamboo spine or the stiff spine. And that's usually, you know, roughly when they're 20 years old to 30 years old is when they go to the doctor and kind of with back pain or whatnot and begin getting diagnosed for this disease. So then is the purpose of this project to understand how the overproduction or lack of production of a single protein in these mice models meant to translate into the whether or not humans are going to develop this AS? So we want to find out whether this gene ERAP1 or this protein ERAP1 is important in this disease. But in addition, we want to find out exactly how it's contributing and exactly what cell types it's affecting, the kind of mechanism it's involved in. And once we understand that, that's you know one step forward into developing a potential therapy uh, or cure for this disease. With that being said, how are you performing this then? So we have different angles in how we're approaching this problem. My approach was to look at macrophages. And macrophages are one of the many cell types that are involved in protecting your body. And macrophages are known to defend your body against pathogens, such as uh, bacteria. Now, macrophages, when they're dysfunctional, they actually are overly active, which is a problem in the body. And that can cause some tissue damage. Now, in the context of ankylosing spondylitis, it could be possible that macrophages are overly active, causing more joint destruction when it comes to uh, spinal fusion, potentially. You're about to wrap up your master's project. During your project, did you look at macrophages? And if so, what did you find with them? Yeah, we actually looked at macrophages derived from these mice, these diseased mice. And we actually used kind of an experimental model in a dish where we stimulated them, we activated them in kind of an artificial way, both these from these diseased mice and from macrophages from wild-type mice or healthy mice. And we found that actually the macrophages from these diseased mice are overly active, and they're way more exaggerated in how they respond to the stimulation, this artificial stimulation that we're giving them. Are macrophages the cells that cause the spinal fusion, or are there other cells or another protein possibly causing the spine to fuse together? I think that's a great question. I think it's really an orchestra of cells interacting with each other, leading to the symptoms seen in patients with uh, ankylosing spondylitis. Now, it's hard to pinpoint and say macrophages are the one causing it, but for example, there's a pro-inflammatory protein or cytokine in macrophages called TNF-alpha. This has been shown to be in high levels in patients with ankylosing spondylitis and in the joints, actually, TNF-alpha, mRNA. So whether macrophages themselves are causing the joint destruction, and actually TNF-alpha is one of the proteins that are targeted in therapies for ankylosing spondylitis. But there are other proteins involved in the disease as well. Some of them are known to be produced by macrophages, Some of them aren't. Studying macrophages is one piece to the puzzle in understanding fully how this uh, disease develops and progresses. And it is possible 
that if macrophages are the heavy producers of these pro-inflammatory proteins, then targeting them in a disease model could be a possible therapeutic approach. The big thing that we have been discussing about when it comes to AS is how it causes the vertebrae and the spine to fuse together. But are there any other symptoms of AS that exist in humans? Yeah, so another symptom seen in patients with AS is inflammatory bowel disease, is inflammation in the gut, and it's seen with more than 30% of patients with AS. Now, another disease which we haven't really looked at was inflammation in the eye. 30% of patients with AS get inflammation in one of their eyes, and also roughly 10% of patients with AS have issues with heart disease. And so I wanted to look at the inflammation in the eye and inflammation in the heart, looking for signs of these in mice in our disease model. Did you happen to investigate different parts of the heart? We looked at the aortic root and didn't find any signs of inflammation in these mice, but we looked at 14-week-old mice. And later on, we actually want to look at older mice currently, actually. That's uh, what I'm investigating currently in the lab before I graduate and That makes sense. Since you said that AS develops over time, probably it would develop whenever the mouse is older. Thank you for that in-depth overview of your master's research for your thesis. Can you elaborate a little bit more about the other research projects that you've also been involved with? Yeah, absolutely. So I was very fortunate to work on a variety of projects in the lab. One of my favorites was a project which involves cancer, and I'm very passionate about that project. And there's a problem in cancer where you have killer immune cells called T-cells that can't recognize certain cancer cells. But what you can do in a clinical setting is you can extract T-cells out of your body, send them to a laboratory, and have them rewired using a virus to be able to detect the cancer where it initially couldn't. And so you can ship back the T-cells, which are upgraded to the clinic, And these CAR T-cells can now be injected back into the patient where they can actually potentially recognize the cancer cells and kill them. So in the lab, while this was getting FDA approved, we worked on enhancing these CAR T-cells. We wanted to co-express or combine this CAR T-cell technology with another protein that we also studied in the lab. And we know that this protein improves T-cell function. Thanks for that overall view about your research and some of your past research projects. What else are you passionate about in graduate school? So one thing I was really passionate about um, in grad school was teaching. So I was a TA for a variety of classes, and I started with physics lab, then I did microbiology lab, and in the end I was able to uh, be an instructor for a cell biology lab course. And, you know, each time it was more responsibility, and by the end, you know, I was responsible for also a undergraduate learning assistant and teaching more students each time. In addition to teaching, I was really passionate about research, you know, in my lab. And so I wanted to kind of bring some of that into my teaching. So I tried to incorporate, you know, my own research and my own passion for research in the classes that I TA as much as I could. I was able to get a few students interested in research and help them find a position and help them with the whole strategy of finding a lab and understanding how lab, how research could help them and how to navigate their career. I was really uh, excited to see that many of them actually got into really good labs and they got really good positions and they're learning a lot. And so this kind of 
benefited them obviously and it you know benefited me knowing that I could you know make a real difference it sounds like you've had a very involved graduate career since you've been here at Michigan State University what other things are you interested in doing so I'm really interested in business and I wanted to incorporate some business experience during my graduate program so I found a way to go to Italy actually during one of the winter breaks for a short two week business consulting internship and that was very useful i learned a lot about business and in addition i want i was able to explore one business idea that's been on my mind for a while is to make these uh, luxury handmade uh, university logo ties it started once with my dad asking me to get him a michigan state spartan tie and i went to the store and i found these really wide and kind of old style Michigan State ties that were selling for like 50 bucks. And I wasn't happy with its construction, with the quality. And I said to myself, wow, you know, I can, you know, I'm sure there could be uh, better quality ones for this price. I used to be involved actually with some uh, clothing related business in the past. So, you know, I bought that tie for my dad and I kept this thought in my mind. So while I was on this internship, I decided, hey, you know, why not contact these manufacturers in Italy and see if they can make me ties with the Spartan logo. You know, this is an idea that I kind of just went for, and they actually, I, I met one manufacturer that made me really good ties, and right now, actually, I'm in the process of licensing both MSU ties and University of Michigan ties. I hope that the Michigan State ones sell more, obviously. Right now, I hope to get licensed soon, and I'm going to hopefully start selling them online. How did you develop these business skills in the first place? Well, you know, I think... I'm always developing business skills. Um, but one thing that really helped me was going to Spartan Innovations for this startup weekend. I was involved with a team of eight people to come up with a business idea and actually execute the business idea to come up with a solid business plan proposal by the end of the weekend. So it was, I think, like a 48-hour or 50-hour like time frame we had to all sit down and come up with a full business idea, do the marketing, do the market research, and come up with a realistic business model that we could propose to judges. And from there, actually, we won second place out of 10. And we won crowd favorite because our presentation was, uh, was pretty fun. I think business is something everyone should pursue. And I think for me, it's something I'm always developing. As I pursue a variety of things, you know, they say only what less than 10% of ideas are successful. And I think this is something I saw in the lab too, like less than 10% of experiments, I think, are successful in the lab setting or something like that. And I know when things don't work, you just keep going forward. And it's important to have mentors, which I'm very lucky to have, people in business, people in research that I can learn from and develop my own skills. I noticed that you're about to finish your graduate studies here at Michigan State University. What jobs are you applying to particularly and why? I'm applying to research positions in both biotech companies as well as academic labs, mainly on the East Coast. I'd really love to move to Boston or New York. That would be a really nice move for me. There are a lot of good labs out there that I'm interested in. I want to use the uh, skills and knowledge that I gained here during my master's and apply it to another lab as well. And... In, a f- in the future, I'm considering either graduate school, another uh, a doctorate program, or medical school. But there's also an option of potentially going into 
business consulting with a understanding of focus on research and uh, pharmaceuticals. So there are really a lot of options. There's also an option of law school and patent law. These are all things I want to explore. Well, thank you so much for coming in today, Abdul. We really appreciate getting to know you a little bit more as well as learning about what type of research you're doing and how it's really making an impact on humans and society as a whole. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to The Sci-Files on Exposure. Thanks for Jeremy Whiting, our general manager, Olivia Mitchell, our station manager, and our program directors, Amber Konitsky and George McNeil. Thank you to all of our listeners that joined us this week. And remember... The truth is in the science. Any comments and questions can be directed to scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll see you all next week on Scifiles.